is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everyone my name is charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and today we are continuing our study on khalil gibran's the prophet and uh if if you want to follow along with the text the the work is now in the public domain and you can just search for it on google i'm actually reading from a version on Project Gutenberg. So, let us go right to the text. Then a mason came forth and said, Speak to us of houses. And he answered and said, Build of your... Sorry. Build of your imaginings a bower in the wilderness, ere you build a house within the city walls. For even as you have homecomings in your twilight, so has the wanderer in you the ever-distant and alone. Your house is your larger body. It grows in the sun and sleeps in the stillness of the night. And in it, I'm sorry, and it is not dreamless. Does not your house dream, and dreaming, leave the city for grove or hilltop. This is a very interesting passage when we start to look at it, because I have lived all over the place, and for most of my childhood, I actually lived out in the wilderness. (laughs) Not really the... Well, there was our house, and there was Granny's house, and then there were a lot of trees, lots of trees... It was a couple dirt roads that went by. Yeah, I guess it was close to the wilderness. It was wilderness adjacent. We were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I've also lived in the city. There's a couple different cities, actually. And I have never had the experience of actually building a house. But I don't think that that's what this passage is talking about, because I have built several homes over the years in various towns and cities across the country because we found a new place to live and we're going to be there for a while. And I love this idea that we should imagine our home in the wilderness before we build our home in the city walls. Our home is, by rights, in the wilderness. It is in that wild place that cannot be contained by walls and fences that is shaped by the natural forces of the world. And when we don't allow ourselves the experience of nature, when we don't allow ourselves to 
accept our place in nature. I don't think we will ever build a proper home. And we'll never build a proper house. If the land that you are going to build your house in is a floodplain, then you shouldn't be surprised when it floods. That's not a surprising event. It is a thing that happens there. This world moves without us. This world, in so many ways, is caring and loving and nurturing towards us. And in so many others, is indifferent to our plight. If we do not begin by putting ourselves in our proper place in nature, then we will never have a true home. We will never have a place that is truly ours. Returning to the text. Would that I could gather your houses into my hand, and like a sower scatter them into the forest and meadow. Would the valleys were your streets, and the green paths your alleys, that you might seek one another through vineyards, and come with the fragrance of the earth in your garments. But these things are not yet to be. In their fear your forefathers gathered you too near together, and that fear shall endure a little longer. And a little longer shall your city walls separate your hearths from your fields. Yeah, in fear of the wolves and the raider, we came together. In fear, we built the walls. In fear, we built the cities. In fear, we came together. We huddled around the fires and called it home. We built a wall to keep the monsters out. We built our houses closer and closer together for safety and for defense. And then we built even more walls around those houses again to keep the monsters out. Fear is such a rampant and natural state of our hearts. If we are not careful, that fear will consume us. If we are not careful, that fear will drive us so far apart that it will be hard for us to come back together again. We don't really need the walls. We don't really need all of the barriers that we put up to keep nature out, to keep life away. The monsters are mostly in our imagination. But out of fear, we have left our natural state. Out of fear, we have abandoned the places we once lived and called home. Now, I don't want you to think that the prophet here is extolling some kind of a pastoral state where everything was once peaceful and glorious. He's not trying to say that we don't need walls to keep the weather out, to keep the heat or the cool in. What he's talking about here is the 
strategic mindset that built our cities in the first place. They were places that we came together for mutual defense against the elements and against the monsters that roamed in the woods, be they marauding forces wanting to steal from us, or wolves or bears or other natural creature. And because our cities were built on that fear, they often have a claustrophobic nature to them. They drive out as much nature as they can, paving all the streets, covering everything with concrete and asphalt to keep nature at bay. We don't want any of that here. That's how we know that we are the survivors. That's how we know that we are safe and strong. That, as most things in our lives, is but an illusion. In our natural state, as we often discuss in the show, that we find through mindfulness and prayer, we know that there is a basic goodness in our hearts. We know that there is a basic joy that fills us. We know that we are interconnected with all things. And so to build the illusion that we are not interconnected and to deny the basic interdependence that we have on others, we build more and more walls as if those walls will separate the cords that unite us over time and distance. We are united as one interbeing with each other beyond any of this crude matter. It doesn't matter how many walls we erect. It doesn't matter how close together our houses are or how far from nature we construct them. We're still connected. And that fear of connection is the fear that we will lose ourselves, that we will not be in control that we will realize that we were never in control. Or worse, we will realize that no one has ever been in control. And that basic lie that has separated us from our sisters and brothers for millennia will be laid bare before us. And we can't have that. So let's build another wall Let's put more concrete down. Let's get rid of nature. Let's get rid of all of those pesky things that remind us of how interconnected we are one to another. Put it out of mind. Put it out of sight. If I don't have to see it, then it's not real. Oh, our cities have become barriers to our basic compassion. Well, that's in the other neighborhood. That's in the other street. That's those other people's problems. There are no other peoples. What happens to one of us happens to all of us. It affects us all whether we want to admit it or not. We are a unified people. We always have been and we always will be. And we can build the tallest wall and we can cluster 
so far away from nature that we can't even see the greenness in the hills. But still, the world moves without us. The world will show us our interconnectedness, whether we want to see it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to accept it or not. And we have to be careful, because often when we are least prepared to accept the gracious connections that we have with others, tragedies intervene and make those connections more visible, though at those times we say that they're necessary. They were always necessary. We just chose to ignore them. I have to admit, I'm not one of those people who ever really thought of themselves as separate from others, but I grew up a sickly child, and so I always depended on others for so many things. My first leg injury happened when I was 16, and so I understood my need for others to help me get around and do the things that needed to be doing. And that doesn't make me better or worse than anyone else, but it's been hard for me to wrap my mind around those who would think that they can get along without the benefit of others that they would not have to either be a benefit to or accept the gracious care of others. Those who think that they are an island or a mountain removed from the rest of civilization, from the rest of the world. We are not separate one from another. Life has a way of reminding us that. But to think that we are different, that we are separate, that any of us is better than any other. And to put up those walls, either in our hearts, in our cities, or around us, all we're doing is deluding ourselves and masking the reality that it's always been there. You can shut your eyes so that you don't see the pain of others. But that doesn't make the pain go away. You can close your eyes and pretend that the needs aren't there, but they will persist without your observation. We have to rise up. We have to open our eyes. We have to see that we are a part of this beautiful world. We'll continue this after the break. And we're back. And let's go right back to the text. Tell me, people of Orphalese, what have you in your houses? And what is it that you guard with your fastened doors? Have you peace and quiet? I'm sorry, have you peace, the quiet urge that unveils your power? Have you remembrance, the glimmering arches that span the summits of the mind? Have you beauty that leads the heart from things fashioned of wood and stone to the holy mountain? Tell me, 
Have you these in your houses? Or have you only comfort, and the lust for comfort, that stealthy thing that enters the house as a guest, and then becomes a host, and then a master? Ooh, comfort is our master. This is a topic that I find myself reeling about on numerous occasions. I think it's so easy for us, especially in our modern world, to look for comfort, to look for that ease. This is part of what I was talking about when I was talking about closing our eyes so that we don't see the actual nature of the world, the actual state of the world, that we don't see what's going on. That's comfort. The soft cushions many of us sit on, that's comfort. The soft bed, the nice linens, that's comfort. The heating and cooling systems that we use to regulate the temperature of our house, that's comfort. The running water, that's comfort. And we can talk about any or all of these things as necessities. And I'm not going to debate you on whether or not they are, but the biggest comfort I think that we have in our houses is that unless we look out the window, we don't see the lives of others. How many of us dream of a place where we could live where we just couldn't see them because we're in the middle of the woods or on the top of a mountain? We're so far removed from our fellows that everything seems to fall away and all we have is comfort because I'm in my house and the rest of the world is out there and it's happening around me and they can deal with that in their own time. But I don't have to deal with that because I'm here. The basic comforts that we take for granted blind us to how the rest of the world lives. This is one of the reasons why we should need to learn to be grateful. One of the practices that I highly recommend is to say your blessings every day. And I don't mean that in a trite way. I actually do it in a very different way. Not just counting them like, oh, this was a good thing. That was a good thing. That was a good thing. Counting them. I think that leads to vanity. For me, it's to actually say a blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord. Fill in the blank. And to say the blessing over all of the good things that happen. Blessed are you, O Lord, who inspired the wise ones who gave us a furnace to keep our houses warm on these cold winter nights. That's a blessing. And when we learn to see our blessings, especially for the comforts that we have, it helps us to remember the plight of those who do not have access to those comforts and stirs us to action, whatever action we are capable of doing. This is the heart of the prophet's message. We have to be careful not to be binded by comfort, not to serve it as our master. Every little tweak and ache, every little pain doesn't need to be medicated away. 
I'm not saying that we should suffer because suffering makes you good. I'm just saying, sometimes if you wait just a minute, the pain will go away. Or if you stretch, the pain will go away. Or if you do something else, the pain will go away. We don't have to medicate everything. Because that too is giving in to comfort as a master, as a controller, as a thing that has dominance over us. And that's not something we should do. Continuing from the text. I, and it becomes a tamer, and with hook and scourge makes puppets of your larger desires. Through its hand, though its hands are silken, its heart is of iron. It lulls you to sleep only to stand by your bed and jeer at the dignity of the flesh. It makes mock of your sound senses and lays them in thistle down like fragile vessels. Verily, the lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul and then walks grinning to the funeral. Oh, that's harsh. But, I, again, I have to say accurate. I, I know this from my own life. I mean, I am somebody who has a lot of aches and pains, and I have to be very careful that I don't spend too much time seeking comfort. Comfort is a very hard thing for me to find. Because my hips hurt, my, my knees hurt, my back hurts. And so if I spend all of my time trying to find comfort, trying to find ease, trying to find peace with those things, I don't get anything else done. They're a distraction. That desire for comfort, if achievable, isn't bad. But a blind obedience to it that says that it's the thing that I should be seeking beyond all other things distracts from all the other things that I do. I wouldn't be recording these shows because they hurt my knees to sit in the chair the way that I do so the mic picks me up and I have a diaphragm to speak. Well, I wouldn't be writing because finding a place to sit so that I can take the time to write a story or edit it would be almost impossible if my first interest was comfort. And I think if you look in your own life, you can see how comfort is a distraction almost more than it is a relief. And I'm not saying you shouldn't find it when and where you can find it, but it's not something to spend all of your waking hours longing for. Seeking out, trying to find. Longing for comfort is an addiction. It is an addiction to ease. It is an addiction for, let's be honest, an imagined relief of suffering. It is a pseudo-mindfulness. It's that pleasant lie that tells us if we make our life more pleasant, more comfortable, then our suffering will cease. 
And I can tell you, no matter how comfortable a chair is, that chair will not benefit me as much as meditation has. Because while the chair may be a comfort to my back and hip and knee, meditation has taught me how to tame my mind so that I can get things done. How to calm my anxieties so I can get things done. The chair will never do that. And that's the trap. Once you find yourself longing for comfort, longing for ease, then you slip into this place where that's all you can look for, that's all you can try to find. And every little ache, every little pain needs to be masked or comforted somehow so that everything is wrapped up and those walls grow taller and our isolation is even more entrenched in our minds because comfort is an opiate. It is a master that controls us and tames us and guides us down dark paths where we walk away from the light because it's too bright. It stings our eyes, and so we don't want to look at it. Returning to the text. But you, children of space, you restless in rest, you shall not be trapped or tamed. Your house shall not be an anchor, but a mast. It shall not be a glistening film that covers a wound, but an eyelid that guards the eye. You shall not fold your wings that you may pass through doors, nor bend your head that they strike not against a ceiling nor fear to breathe, lest walls should crack and fall down. You shall not dwell in tombs made by the dead for the living. And though of magnificence and splendor, your house shall not hold your secret, nor shelter your longing. And this brings us back all the way to the beginning. This is the natural state that we should long for. In the very last paragraph, the prophet says, For that which is boundless in you abides in the mansion of the sky, whose door is the morning star, and whose windows are the songs and the silences of the night. Because that's who we are. That's who we are at heart. That's who we are by nature. And when we let any of these things distract us, they're keeping us from experiencing life in its fullness. And we have to be careful not to be distracted. We have one master, and that is God. We have one Lord, and that is God. We serve no one in this earth. None is greater than another. 
We are all interconnected. Blessed are you if you hear these words and you understand. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one is a little bit more admonishing than others. I've really, <laughs> I, I love this book so much, and I hope that you're enjoying our time going through it. If you have, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithms that it should share me with other people, and that does help out a lot. If you have a dollar you can throw my way, you can either, well, you can, <clears throat> well, depending on the app that you're listening to me on, you can either hit the button that says support, or in the show notes, you'll find a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, that will let you donate at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money goes to me and helps me to pay for upkeep on the website and to do all the things that I do. And I want to say thank you if you do donate. Those of you who do help me buy a copy of Vellum to make my next book release look a lot better for everyone, and also a copy of Worldographer to make the maps look good. So thank you for that. Um, if you don't have the money to donate, that's fine. I don't do, especially this religious podcast for money. That's not a thing that I would ever do, but you could always pray for me. That really does help out more than, you know, and if you know anybody that you think would enjoy this series, please share it with them. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm wisdom cries out on Twitter. You can find links to that and everything that I do over at wisdomscry.com. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.